0: reinforced running episode 20 something is coming at you right now and first but first i'm going to say some things about the episode and then it's going to come right at you but today we bring you an obstacle course race specific podcast but really any endurance athlete can benefit from the info because it's a deep dive on some practical training application and philosophy and i'm really excited to bring you this next guest it's mr bracken crocker Bracken Crocker is a professional OCR athlete and endurance coach, and he's actually one of the OGs of the sport and has been coaching endurance athletes for almost a decade now, so he has a depth of knowledge about endurance in general and about OCR specifically, and and we really do get into this episode. It's about 90 minutes long, uh, maybe even a little longer, so if you have a long-to-longish run all queued up, then this episode will be Perfect. And then when you get done with your run, you're going to want to listen to it again and write down all the information because so many training gems that you really won't want to forget because honestly, the content in this episode, it's bananas. We talk about progression models and endurance application and how to apply to sports specific training. We talk about how to take on multiple events in a season and a few of Bracken's key takeaways for really any endurance athlete and, and how pretty much anybody can benefit from them. And I took a lot out of this episode, and I know you will too. But um, as always, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to get all the freshest episodes into your feed. Also, click the link in the show notes to learn more about the coaching that we offer here at Reinforced Running and how we can help you get faster for your next race, whether that's road or obstacle or even trail. Either either one, we're a triple threat. Okay, I hope you're ready. Here is Bracken Crocker. Welcome to the Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. We're here on a Friday evening recording, super special episode. No John Williams today, but we have Bracken Crocker in the house. Bracken, what's up, dude?
1: Hey, I appreciate you pronouncing my name correctly.
0: I I think I heard you one time say like it was like a a tip. It's like like how Betty Crocker. Yep. Right? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like so Betty. Yeah. How, what do you know? What do you normally get?
1: Uh, I get cracker. A lot, Kraker, sometimes Brocken. Brocken. And what's the what is problem the... is the A's in the first name and the A's in the last name are pronounced differently. So it's not a fair fight for people. It's not. Like, yeah. what percentage of people do pronounce it correctly? Like, less than 10? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Way yeah. You know, my middle <laughs> name is Donigan. I got my mom's maiden name as my middle name. And Bracken Donigan, I always thought I should just change it to, if I didn't love and respect my father so much,
0: Yeah. yeah. I would
1: just <laughs> change my name and drop the Crocker.
0: That's a strong name too, Bracken Donovan. And like, that would be like a professional athlete. I mean, you are a professional athlete, but you'd be like Irish. a small pond, right? A, <laughs> you're st- still making it happen. You find
1: a small enough pond. You can you be, be a big fish.
0: Yeah. If, if you were, if you were Bracken Donovan, you would, uh, or Donigan, right? You said yeah. Irish. Irish. Yeah. You, you'd be, a, you'd be in the MLB. You would, you'd be something maybe be I'd on be the Astros right now. Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, do, well, I do appreciate you hopping on on
1: a Friday evening. Is this typical in the Crocker household? Like, uh, and I, I have three little kids. Yeah. So like Monday, Friday, like th- there is no difference in my life. In fact, today was like a Saturday because they had off a of school today. So what, what's the occasion? Uh, teacher convention. They just, they just took, had a day off. So yep. it's like parents deal with it. We're, we're, we're doing yep. something else. It's, it's up yeah. to you. So, um, yeah. They, they, yeah. There's, there's no significance to a Friday night for me anymore. <laughs> yes. The so only time there like is is if it's a travel day before a race.
0: Right. Then you'll get some peace, peace and quiet years at home. I know. Like, like that's like, I've get become a here.
1: way worse pre competition sleeper in my old age. I've gotten so, worse every year. Like you're just like out of your element. Like you're just no, it's different things now or. I'm not sure. My pre-race anxiety used to be sky high. And over the years, like post-collegially, especially it's dropped a ton, but inversely, my pre-race sleep has gotten way, way worse. I don't huh. know what to attribute it. To. My The only thing I can think of is that when I have an alarm set, I generally just wake up naturally at the time, I'd around the time I'd like to be up. Like if I want to wake up at 5.30 for a workout, I generally wake up, a snap wake at like 5.25 or 5.28, it just, it works. But for races, I can't rely on that. When I have an alarm set, it's like hanging over my sleep. I wake up like every 20 to 40 minutes and I have to check the clock. Just terrified of missing a start line. I have
0: bad dreams. I will have nightmares about yep. like showing up late to a race or something All like night that. Long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I still have ones where I like forget my track spikes. Like I don't wear track spikes anymore, but I'm like, oh my God, I don't have my spikes. Yeah. I think I did right. have one. one Tahoe, to- I,
1: I still oh, was having you? that. The entire like month leading up to it every night something was missing out of my my gear bag like I get there and my bib wasn't there we don't wear bibs or my my track shoes weren't there or my timing chip or like something come on I'm I'm like I'm 32 now I've been doing it a couple 20 years (laughs) like how is this not better
0: and even if you did like you'd be like well I just forgot like so you'd be able to figure it out but I still get that terrible dream and also do you I have a dream where in a race I'm running really slow
1: do you have that one I alternate between that one and where I'm clicking, I'm clicking, I'm clicking. And suddenly I'm way off course and I have no idea how to get back into it. And then I get back in like 200th place and I just can't, no no. matter and it's still clicking, but it's just like, I can never get all the way back up to the front. Oh, I haven't had that one.
0: I'll oh, put together rough. like
1: three quarters of a race, start to smell it, and then like I'm off course. Somewhere. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> that's that's rough too. Because at least yeah. when it's like when I'm like in my dreams, like I'm literally on my hands and knees like crawling because I'm going so slow. I can kind of think that's a dream, but like you're probably like I'm crushing. I'm like in good shape. Here we go. And then you're like you're in the middle of the woods and you're just like lost. So that one's
1: tough. When yeah. I do run slowly in dreams, it's like I'm on an alter G. Mm. But instead of it reducing the load, it reduces how much of my foot can touch, and I'm like barely scraping the ground. So I just oh, can't, like, snow like, I can't push off forward. I'm, <laughs> doesn't matter how hard I push, I'm just like scraping to oh. try to move forward.
0: Yeah, those those
1: running nightmare,
0: r- running related nightmares are not my yeah. favorite. But I guess there's worse ones. There's definitely worse ones. So yeah. on on this I have you seen these? The, 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 some of these uh, um, OCR people have been peddling these
1: athletic brews. I have, yeah. Have you tried them? No, and but it's you know athletic brewing. If you're out there, you should reach out to me. I love beer, and in fact, when I get done with runs, it's the first thing I want. But I'm trying to be like a good, a good athlete now. And yeah. we did the the no booze October and stuff, so I'm sitting here with uh knockoff Lacroix oh like <laughs> the, the budget kind yeah so, it, so anyways it, like i actually enjoy I'll, I'll have non-alcoholic beer there's just not many good ones out there this one
0: i actually like because i'm also a beer drinker to, to my detriment but like it i was really condescending about it at first i was like why would you because it's not calorie free i mean it's not the same as like a, a craft beer there's way less yeah. calories but I was like, if you're going to have something that is still not going to benefit you and like be like just extra calories for no reason, like why wouldn't you just drink like a soda? You know, it's going to taste good. Like beer doesn't taste that good, but this actually is like pretty tasty. I was like, I I had to put my foot mouth. I still haven't
1: had one. And I have certain meals that just like, I want to have a beer with that meal Mm. or certain workouts. I want to have it afterwards. And my big thing is like, I don't really care if I put bad things into my body. Mm. I like to live. Like You're just doing how it. I want to. Like yeah. if it, if I want it that day, I'm going to have it, and I don't mm-hmm. have an addictive personality, so like I can have it in moderation and move on. So, but like if I want a beer, I want to have it. But when I'm in the the bigger my training block, the more I need my recovery, and like the alcohol just messes with sleep and recovery, and so, so that's bad. part of it. So like non-alcoholic beer for me would be perfect. You should definitely. Try I used it. to do those duels in the past. Did you really? Yeah. Nice. And is that just yeah. like a Bud Light? Like, kind of. Yeah. It yeah and i it's it, it's a run of the mill yeah this is whatever it's because
0: like, that's what got me thinking like i'm not doing sober october but i did do i didn't have drinks throughout my september wife me into it. well who did my wife oh really she, she yeah. brought me in because that th- this athletic bruiser they're kind of pushing that their athletes are pushing that pretty hard and it's like a joe yeah. rogan thing I, i've seen it but it's a good idea but yeah i spent all september not drinking like the five weeks just kind of like leading in into tahoe and stuff like that mm-hmm. so i was like all right like let's this is a good time and that's what got me thinking about this i was like oh well it makes me still feel like i'm participating a little bit and I actually thought that about O'Douls is just like getting an O'Douls at a bar and just like owning it be like yeah i'm drinking O'Douls. what about it sure. like here we are um well cool man so yeah uh so for those of you uh for those of the people out here listening that might not be familiar with you i mean uh, I'd love to give you, have you, um, you give everybody a, a bit, a quick rundown of really who you are, how you got involved in OCR and, you know, just a little bit of of, of your background.
1: Yeah. At this point, I'm a, a full-time OCR racer and coach, you know, endurance coach in general, but OCR specifically is kind of my wheelhouse and got into that kind of accidentally growing up, did every sport and, uh, in college was re- reduced down to just running. I, it was the last sport I could do at a collegiate level. In fact, <laughs> I tried baseball. Uh, twice. And I got cut from both teams and I kind of just had to face the facts that I was done. um, Like two different schools or did you try it out for the same? Yeah, two different schools. (laughs) I tried out at one and I got cut. The assistant coach um, said, you know what? I feel like you probably could still do this. I had ran my freshman year of college um, down in North Carolina and uh, just like burnt out, couldn't stand it by the end. So I gave up my scholarship and came back home and spent the summer trying to get back to baseball. So he's like, I feel like if you shook the rust off, like you could still maybe do this. So I got a buddy who coaches at a different school, and I know they're still looking for someone. To go try out. So I went there and I, did, I didn't make that team. <laughs> he, he lied to you. His, his buddy. Well, yeah, like, and now me, I'm at a school I didn't want to be at. Oh I was yeah, just that's there. True. I just wanted to play. Like, why well, you really I come from an athletic family? That's yeah. all. That's all I knew were sports, and I wasn't ready for that to be done. Um. And anyways, wound up running again my last three years. And hmm. uh and then after that I was in this weird spot where I'd picked up lifting during baseball and I kept my strength up during running. So I I ran the eight hundred and the fifteen in college, but I raced at like one sixty-seven. Hmm. Which was pretty high. Pretty big. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're uh, what? What do you six one? Six foot. Six foot. Yeah. So I mean it's not massive, but that's that's runner is pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. And so I and I always kind of my teammates and I would joke like if I, if we could stop and do 20 pull-ups each lap, I'd be a national champion. (laughs) There's no, there was no way to use that. And then suddenly OCR was there. That's not a thing. (laughs) That'll never be a thing. And luckily OCR came around the year I graduated. So their first year was the, my senior year of college. And I, they had just a few races and I didn't know about it. And then I graduated and that first year out, I got guilted into going one to one and it just so happened that you know, it clicked, I did well at it and it made sense to me like athletically. And so I didn't have like this big downtime post-collegiately. I got to just, you know, maybe six months after graduating and aimlessly working out, I was into OCR. So I didn't, I didn't lose everything I'd built up in college.
0: I'm interested with that first race. What was it?
1: Was, was it like that? It, <laughs> it was like a yeah It was a Spartan sprint in Illinois. And you um, did, so you did, it okay. yeah. That I took second. Oh, wow, um, the, the fields weren't what they are now, not even remotely close. But there, I looked around the starting line, and there's like a couple small, little, like mousy runners, and there's a couple like giant crossfitters, and then a couple like soccer player looker looking types. And I thought, like, these runners can't do strength, and these strength guys can't run. I'm going to smash everyone, <laughs> and uh. I got worked by this tiny little guy. Just worked by him. And uh at first I thought it wasn't too bad because I kept catching glimpses of him and he only won by like a minute mm-hmm. over the course, which sounds like a lot, but in a Spartan race, it's, in not, a
0: Spartan, it's not. In a, a track race, that's that's an ass kick. And but in Spartan, eternity. it's like
1: it's it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a race in Spartan race. Yeah. But then I found out he was like taking pictures of people on course and like talking to, it was Hobie call. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know that at the time. And <laughs> So Hobie's like the best. He's like the goat right now, right? Yeah. He's he's like the so greatest. time. he just of all effortlessly time. smashed me. And I was so destroyed in this three and a half mile race. I ran probably a total of like a thousand, maybe twelve hundred meters throughout the race with my hands dangling at my sides because I couldn't lift my arms up. They were so blown out. Oh really? It was so bad. I was huh. I, I was in good shape physically and I was utterly unprepared for that. But anyways, like it worked well enough that I yeah. went after the rest of the year. And then did that, you win money? Were they given was, money at that point? I don't remember if I got money. I might have, I got a free, I got a gift certificate for a free pair, innovate shoes. Dude.
0: As a post collegiate Yeah. In in a, as a,
1: as a post it. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> like a free pair really, shoe. I just wanted to go back and get after Hobie. And then by the, like my goal was just to beat him. I'd beat him. I'd leave the sport. And like, by the time I eventually beat him, it was three years later. Yeah. Um, how did the, so did you said that some other runners came with you that day or they guilted there you? There were some come? other runners there. Or, um, yeah, the guy that not- I came with had been a college teammate of mine who I think would be really good at the sport. But what happened um, that day? He, did he do okay? No. Um, he had a year prior gone out for a run and got hit by a car. Oh God. And was knocked unconscious, broke his leg, tore his ACL, like a bunch of bad stuff. Um, but he went out for that run because I guilted him into going for a run because I, I was making fun of him for gaining weight because he had a chance to run. I don't, do you remember the Indiana invaders? No, they were a training enclave in Indiana. I was like, no. a, who's a the coach of that team? I don't even know. I, I, I don't know who was there, but they, they, they took a bunch of like D2, D3 guys who they thought could like make a jump to the next level. And he got offered to run there and he, he declined and just went into working. Mm. I just gave him crap for it. Cause I was like, why would you not pursue a dream or whatever? So he went out for the run cause I guilted him into it. And then he got hit by the car.
0: Oh, so, so, so like that's why ways it,
1: that race was his reason to like follow rehab and get back into it. Okay. So we, he didn't even run the elite wave. He just went out and like to complete it. But yeah. yeah. Cause that's what I was curious about. Like if like you knew other runners there
0: of the caliber that you were and like, if it was just like your, your athletic ability and like your previous weightlifting that was the, the difference maker but i mean
1: it's it was the lack of runners and like athletes there yeah i'd yeah. like to give myself some credit for that but no i was unprepared and the fields were just not what they are now yeah right and that's early that's what what year is that that was 2011 2011
0: so when you saw that there was something there because you've been essentially a professional
1: obstacle course race athlete how do you
0: yeah how do you present yourself i guess you, i guess you did in the beginning a professional
1: endurance coach and Athlete, yeah. But like the two 30- years I kept teaching, I kept coaching mm. and I just go to races on weekends and I trained, like trained hard in spurts, but there wasn't, there wasn't a professional aspect to it. Yeah. You know, Hob- Hobie at one point won like 19 races in a row and couldn't quit his job. Yeah. you know, <laughs> He's making 500 bucks a race. Yeah. That's you know, just not S- cutting it. Spending it all on travel. Um, and, I, and I actually left the sport. I trained that next year Yeah. All year. I trained nine months. I did a nine month build to the world championship and, uh, I took third at the beast and the ultra at that world championship. This is 2012. Yeah. And took home (laughs) $2,000. Nice. (laughs) I was like, you know, that was cool. But like, I paid my own way out here. I cleared like, you're nothing like 1300 bucks for the weekend. And I turned myself inside out (laughs) to, to cross that line. And I prepped for nine months for it. So like it just didn't make sense. I was like, "It's cool, I did it," um, and I'm gonna. I want to try Ironman now. It was I'd, I'd been wanting to dabble in triathlon. I thought it would suit my skill set, and so I, uh, you know, joined a gym, started swimming, started biking, and all winter did that. And then that spring, got a call from Robert Coble. He said, "We're putting together this pro team thing. Are you interested?" I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, "Oh, you know, we'd like fly you to." I'm like, "I'm in." <laughs> That's all I had to say. <laughs> <That's it>. Yeah, <laughs> and that was it. I know that was. Each year it got a little more, uh, I, lucrative is not the term, but there was more financial like incentives on the I table. Guess, yes, so sustainable. For, for like two or two years, maybe I was a professional athlete and that cool. I lived, I could live entirely off my sponsorship and my, my winnings. Nice. And then after that, um, it just wasn't sustainable with a family. And so at that point, the vast majority of my income started coming from coaching.
0: Mm. Yeah. And like you mentioned, you, you were teaching at a, at a school, I'm guessing yeah, you, high, school, high school special ed teacher. Oh, nice. Cool. So, I mean, you had that, that educative education background and you have this endurance and training background. And was that just something that naturally happened as coaching or were you also coaching at like the high school level? I, well? I coached
1: at the high school level during college. I co- went back and I coached at my high school. Nice. I just always, I liked that. And what I loved coaching from the beginning because it was like all the best parts of teaching without the negative drawbacks. Like yeah, God. you every kid who you worked with asked to be there. Whereas the kids in your classroom, are forced to be there. And so you didn't have to fight the buy-in battle and all that stuff. You just got to work on an everyday, see breakthroughs or people overcome stuff where you might work with 30 kids all year and get three breakthroughs in you know, some years. And with track and cross and basketball, I get every day you could get a breakthrough.
0: Yeah. And people are
1: happy to you know? be there. And like the, the working... In
0: a school, it's not always like the most positive in environment. At least what I found, I was, I kind of went the same route. Like I went after um, running collegiately, I went back to, and I wanted to coach a high school and I was subbing and did like a long-term sub deal. I had a classroom for a little bit and I just didn't like it. It just didn't feel like a positive place. There was a lot of like things to deal with outside of just teaching kids. And really, I just
1: wanted to coach. Yeah. So that, that was My first school me. was fantastic and I loved it. And uh, we ended up moving. And the next district was a mess and I I hated my job every day Ugh. and it was fully like po- political and like, I just have no desire to play that game. Isn't that crazy? Like the, the bureaucracy in schools and like how yeah. much
0: people like fight back on things and like, I, I, it, yeah, it was as a just... special
1: educator. It was even like it's a hard job because of hard. the IEP. Yeah. Process. That's a really, really difficult job. You know, it can um, be, and I was at the first school and it was a great job. And I, like, it was, it was made smooth sailing by the administration and the parents. Hmm. And then the next one I went to was just night and day. Like, I just, I realized, (laughs) well, I'm going to be that stat. I'm going to be the five-year burnout.
0: Yeah. But it it
1: made it really easy to pursue OCR.
0: Yeah, right. Like my,
1: My wife, Lisa, was like, hey, like, I think, I think you should quit teaching. You know, like for real <laughs> yeah, like, that, that's 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 the reverse order of how that conversation usually goes and then she's like and you know I think we should I think we should move to Colorado so you can train at altitude <laughs> it's like, it's like right? I think that's a great idea <laughs> yeah so it made I it really
0: it. easy to transit haven't thought about either of those things really these are great ideas that you're having um, um so yeah so when you kind of were making this transition and you wanted to come back in the coaching, like how did you decide to kind of go about that? Or was that always something that was on your radar and you're like, you know, I would like to still kind of coach people. And and were you coaching endurance athletes or mm-hmm. did you immediately kind of be like, okay, like these obstacle course race, race athletes
1: need. Well, I've been writing training plans for people that whole time, mm-hmm. you know, buddies of mine or people that I, that I knew or knew of me or even, even like someone said, you know, a couple of times, could you write a training plan for my kid? for the summer for coming across or to bridge from cross to track. And so I never really lost touch with that. But once I was in OCR, I, I quickly, just because of the lack of runners in the field at first, I was instantly like one of the top few like running experts, despite not being a running expert. You know, I was, I was a running novice at the time I had had a good coach or two and a lot of core running coaches. So I knew what not to do, but I didn't have a firm basis yet in how to be a very good, like technical coach, but there was no one else around in the sport that really knew running. So I was the de facto for a lot of people, but that jump started me thinking, you know, I'd love this. The sport's open for this. It's right. Like someone needs to provide this and I have a passion for it. So then I started getting back to a lot of research on it and a lot of, um, listening to people who do know what they're talking about, and um, and then it just it just naturally happened. Writing plans just pro bono for for people, and then eventually one day someone's like, you know i'd I'd pay you a lot of money for this. <laughs> I'm saying, How much you would? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and then and so I started doing it just word of mouth, and then after a while, it's like, you know, if I can do what I love and support my family off it, I should just like do this thing.
0: Yeah, and that's that's an interesting way and I feel like that's pr- kind of a natural way to come across being a professional coach but like, my experience was I was kind of the same deal like just writing p- programs for people while working another job mm-hmm. and um I had met a guy at a, I was working for a running shoe company and I was at a, a, an event and this guy came up and was like talking to my partner at the time and uh and when he left he was like oh who is that guy he told me his name he's like oh yeah he's like a running coach I was like yeah yeah and and like what else he's like no that's it I was like what i was like that's seriously something and that was never on the survey in high school for like what job you're gonna do next (laughs) no if i knew i would have majored in that instead of whatever whatever
1: they told me to do i can't tell you how many times i've regretted my i don't regret my college choices but i could have been doing some things that would have played long term
0: yeah and and i I think about the same things like i don't regret it because i'm happy with where i am right now and like who knows what would have changed if i would have done like exercise fizz or something but like um
1: yeah. Do you ever think about going back? Yeah. And in fact, we got, we got close. My wife got her masters and then right about the time where it was time for me to, to start mine. That's when we moved out to Colorado. Oh, okay. And then, you know, that was our first couple of years trying to make it as solely off running and finances were tight. And we, it just wasn't time. So I, I, I fully, I will, it will happen, you know, but. Would you um, go back for I, exercise fizz or what would you, what would you do? I'm not entirely sure which route it'll go. It's it's changed throughout the years. Um, I think I'm finally ready to do exercise fizz in some form. I think that it would have been wasted on me earlier. Hmm. I had too many, either too many false notions or not enough desire to really absorb. I think in college for sure it would have been wasted on me. I think that that's the kind of thing you have to go in with a passion for.
0: Yeah, just and so now, memorized it, took the test and left, and then
1: yeah, yeah, I would have, I would have applied it the way you see like. A lot of those people come out with you know nutrition degrees or 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 exercise fizz where they just give you blanket statements and this is what I was told so this is what we're gonna do and right, I feel like right, having right, a real world grasp of things now and a lot of for lack of better terms like in the field trial and error I'd love to go back now and frame that around some some other scientific backing
0: and and, and that's one hundred percent the case because like the practical application is invaluable right like and you already have a lot of that so you would know how how to take that information and what it would work and and what would would make sense especially if you're going to be specialized the way that you would be um instead of going and preaching being like okay isolation stuff like this and that like yep like old school information without knowing how to apply it to real people um, yeah, that would, that would be an interesting route, but like, how did you kind of go about becoming, um, a, more of this, this expert in, in, in the field Then, like, kind of, what do you credit that to like, in, in just being around
1: people or trial and error for that? If I have an area of expertise, it's experience. You know, I, I would not ever say that I'm like the most scientifically proficient endurance coach in the world because I don't have the degree to back it up and I don't have the years behind it. I have read and researched and listened to as many good people as you can at my age, I think. But I wouldn't consider myself an expert in that sense. But I have lived it every single day, you know, for the last, what, nine years post-collegiately now. And I've written all my own training plans. And I everything I've ever wrote for anyone, I tested on myself Mm. extensively first. And so I feel like I can feel everything I give out. And I'm sure you're the same way where it adds something to it where there's no fluff left in a program when you've lived it. Like there's no things that you have in there because you've heard you should have it or because someone else did it that way or because that's the way runnings are always been done. Yeah. Like when you've trained every day for nine years and tested every theory on yourself and you've tried a high mileage and low mileage and, you know, multi pace training and, and threshold based training, like everything out there. Eventually you just know what rings true for you and then, and so I would say my expertise would be experience. Which
0: goes a long way, especially in this sport, because, well, like you said, you know what it's like to be in it and how it's going to feel during it and how it's going to feel after it, how it's supposed to feel yep. after it, how it's supposed to feel two days
1: after it, how it's
0: supposed to feel after like two weeks of it all. And like, in our together. crazy
1: sport, how it should feel for 12 years, 12, for 12 months of competition in a year. That. Like how so, to string it together.
0: And and this, this is one thing I, I really did want to talk to you about because, um, our experience together. You did my first like OCR specific programming. Um, you mm-hmm. coached me, and it, it really opened my eyes in a lot of ways to this because because m- my background was very much endurance specific for a, a long, long time. So it is like three month seasons, like build, yep. build, progress, 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 switch, switch stimulus, like peak, then find your event, and then run as fast as you can one time. Um, yep. And then like the training that like you kind of put together, it is just more it makes more practical sense for the sport itself. And it, it's things that coming from an endurance background, like I was real hesitant to do like, like doing things like carrying heavy shit and putting it down and running again, you know, like even though mm-hmm. that's sport specific, it's hard to do that when you know the principles of endurance and how that plays out over the course of a couple, like a couple of weeks and a couple seasons. And, and you don't yeah. really know how those
1: hard efforts are going to, like play out long-term. Um, well, and, and in your, like in your defense, there are things that I did with you that I don't do anymore. mm. You know, there were things that two years ago I believed in less strongly than I believe in now, you know, as the sports evolved. And as I've now seen a five-year vision rather than a three, like I lived it for three years, but now five years, what's, what's come of it? Like things have continued to evolve off that. Totally.
0: And and like, well, I guess where I was going is like, how did you then like, was there a moment where you're like, okay, I just need to do shit differently. I need to do stuff yeah. that is for this sport. I need to stop training, doing quarters, doing 600s or whatever it is. Or like, how do you do the practical endurance with the obstacle course stuff?
1: It took a while to break away from doing the things that I had been told to do throughout high school and college. First thing I realized is that a lot of my coaches were doing the things that they had been told without ever really questioning or, or experimenting with things. And I realized early on that we trained too fast every single day Mm. or too hard. I guess there's no such thing as too fast. We trained too hard, Mm -hmm. you know, prioritizing hard and easy days was like mind blowing for me. (laughs) We, We used to joke in uh, college that race day was our fourth hardest workout of the week. And like, we took pride in that. And yeah, yet- it was like
0: Tuesday, what
1: Tuesday, Thursday race, and then long run Sunday at a fast pace. Yeah. And we didn't that. do long runs. I, I trained in a, a middle distance group that trained like, you know, we were 800 milers and we trained like we were 400, 600 runners.
0: Mm, so you're like on tracking every day. We
1: just, yeah, we hammered intervals and like looking back, well, it's no, Wonder why we started out hot and did really well in indoor, and like towards the end of indoor season started to tail off and did pretty well at nationals, and our outdoor season was crap, mm. Like we just raced ourselves into the ground, so that was part of it, finally breaking away from I need to hit three quality workouts in a week in the long run, you know and then this the second was was getting away from the I have to periodize my season the way I used to periodize my season because it was always. Build your big volume of base and then go to threshold work. And once you've maximized your threshold of work, now you're going to start with your slower than race pace interval work. And then we're going to sharpen down to race pace and then finish up with faster than race pace so that we can peak and hit our race. But our season's the opposite in OCR. We start with sprints and then moves up to supers. And then, you know, for the non OCR people, we start with three to five mile races, build the six to 10 mile, and then world championship is a two hour. 13 to 16 mile mountain race. So it's the reverse funnel system. And I was trying to cram the standard periodization into that. So breaking away from that was really difficult. And initially I swung, uh, a couple different ways. I just kept trying new things and then researching a bunch of different coaches. And, but that, that once I decided I can periodize my season according to my sport, life got a whole lot simpler at first it was more confusing because there wasn't much of a track record for it but it was simple in that there were truths in fitness that could be applied to our sport and and that's a good thing to kind of hang your hat
0: on right because it is essentially like if you put it how you did initially like just trying it's almost like throwing darts but Mm -hmm. like if you have those principles there like you know that your fitness will improve and and ultimately this is a fitness sport so and i think i do remember you saying to me uh, something to me like uh, of that nature of like there was a coach who once said something like, we're not too worried. We're just, we just want to become as fit as possible, you mm-hmm. know? And like, and that's the, ultimately like the end goal. Um, and do you still do like, do you still work on that? Like periodization kind of, or do you just, is it, is it volume based or is it speed? So when like, we worked together, is,
1: though, the vast majority of the, of, of what I recommended for people was a kind of like a, a, a continual season approach mm-hmm. where you're just constantly going to be extending and, and progressing throughout the year. And you're not going to have a typical base period because we started our races in February and we end them in November. And that's foolish. Um, but, and I think for the masses, I still prescribe to that for the most part, but the higher level of the athlete or the higher level of goals, I think the more there's room for some periodization, but I think it's almost a reverse periodization model. Uh, I
0: starting faster or is it like, yeah, as as starting volume, faster and expanding.
1: Like, okay. So there's two coaches that, their principles take put aside what we know about the athletes they've worked with and their doping accusations. but alberto salazar (laughs) and renato canova are two i think geniuses of endurance and and both of them keep speed present year round and they add they never remove pieces they only add pieces and renato canova in particular and 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 Salazar as well. They're big proponents of speed extension rather than sharp. They don't, they sharpen up to race pace rather down to race pace. Mm. So instead of going base to threshold to 10k to 5k, and now we're going to race a 3k, they start with, you know, the speed you're going to need and then over time, they extend the periods you can sustain it for throughout a year. Like build strength around it or, or yep. whatever you want to say. Yep. It. But the speed's always present and then they extend throughout. So they might be running twos and fours at the beginning of the year. And by the end, they're running sixes, eights, thousands in your cycle resets. And But using that paradigm, then you can then you can get creative with OCR. And it works nicely. You can do a 5K block to start your season off or a 10 K block to prep for your early season, flat, fast courses. And, uh, like what, what a lot of great marathon coaches now will have accepted or will say is that the best way to prep for a marathon is a really good 10 K season. And then from there we add up, we start building our thresholds and we start extending our long workouts and long runs. And I really like that right now.
0: And that, that seems to make really good, strong, like practical sense and uh and and then like the fitness component itself like that's a really great principle like and then how do you are are the workouts themselves like a mixture of things are they ocr workouts or are they some running and and or like what's what have you found works for
1: you (laughs) well what works for me is a lot of like 15k and half marathon paced work because that's for you as an, an for, as an athlete, yep, for yeah. me personally, and so I have to have long intervals and I have to have threshold runs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for for everyone, a lot of the endurance world comes from the opposite, where they can they can tempo all day long, but they don't have the get up and go to get up and go. Where I like I can roll out of bed and run in crap fitness break two and a eight, but I couldn't you know throughout the year I couldn't break two forty five in a marathon to save right. my life, and that doesn't line up. So I always had to work that far in. But I think to answer the question specifically is that a mix is needed. Like no matter how strong of a runner you are, if you can't, if your compromised running is rough. And when I say that, that's like when your arms are blown out or your quads are blown up, if you've been climbing up and down a mountain or if you're carrying something or whatever it is, if you can't run a high percentage of your max, when you're compromised, you can't be good in the sport. And we've seen that with some stud runners who have come over. That, you know, if you can run 1350 in a 5K, which we've had multiple sub-14 guys come over, but now you do 30 burpees and now you're at 80% of that. And now you climb a mountain, you're at 60% of that. Well, now the 16 flat guy who can run 1620 when he's tired is now faster than you. Right. And so... So I, yeah, I believe you have to have compromise running in there. You have to have hill work. You have to have carry work. You have to have speed work. You have to have threshold work. You know, Farlicks are great to sprinkle in. You need long runs. And suddenly you're dealing with this. I have eight different type of quality days. I need to fit into my schedule. And that (laughs) was like a two-year process for me alone is how do I incorporate eight different skill sets into a training plan without leaving things out? And that, that, that was you start to get too many moving pieces in your head and and you you overthink things. And, and, yeah.
0: I, I, and that's kind of like some of the things that you see you see from like w- the workouts that some people do just like social media stuff it's very much like yeah. you need all these things so just do all of these things but like you, like
1: you said you have to but you, progress. you any can't one progress and you want of
0: them. Yeah, you, then you're not you good at any of
1: them. Yeah. inside a certain time range. But how you repeat eight different type of workouts and and my my big like I wouldn't call it a breakthrough moment because other people have had this, but my personal breakthrough was accepting the idea that your body doesn't know speed, it knows intensity. Mm. And so, as soon as I accepted that, like life got really clear. Like, I can run 10K paced workouts all year round, but I might be doing them flat at the beginning of the year, and I might do them at a rolling hill you know, mid-year, and I might do them at 40% incline at the end. But if I'm hitting the heart rate and the intensity I need, a three-minute interval is a three-minute interval. And a threshold work is threshold work. Whether if you're doing cruise intervals, let's say you're doing 10 by 1,000 with like 45 to 50 second rests, you know, at your threshold pace, you know, mm-hmm. an interval fartlek, I mean, an interval tempo session, it doesn't matter if you do it flat or if you do it at 20% to work on your climbing. Your cardiovascular system doesn't know the difference. And so you can still, you can keep a threshold progression year round, doing it flat, incline, mountain, swamp. I get, you can do interval work in the snow. It doesn't matter what pace you're hitting. It matters what intensity. And that was really big for me. So now I can have eight different components, but I can keep the same progression and workouts throughout my entire year.
0: And and like, yeah, that's a great. Point and a great thing to remember and putting it that way makes perfect sense. I don't think I've ever thought about that way either. Cause it is something like a carry, like you're going super slow. Like you can't go fast, but it doesn't mean you're not improving your fitness while doing right. that. If and- I'm
1: hitting 166 at my heart rate on a heavy carry at 10% incline on my treadmill, cardiovascularly, I'm <laughs> incurring work. the same change as if I'm running, you know, 550 out on the roads.
0: And like the carry thing is tough too, because like people want people want it to be a strength thing, right? Where and like yeah, it is. But like you're saying, like it's like the intensity piece is really what makes the difference, and that's why you see guys like like Woods or Albin, yeah, usually uh, who who do well in these carries because they can have do so well at intensity. So like that is something in this sport that is appealing to people because they come from the gym. They come from CrossFit or something like that, or they have some sort of athletic background and they want to stay there. But like, where do you draw the line for strength where it's enough versus when they should be spending time
1: doing intervals or working that intensity? Like where, how does that, I think that's one of the hardest parts of our sport because we're all blinded by our own perspective. Mm -hmm. And I've gone through this multiple times with myself. Like we all kind of follow the same pattern. We come into the sport. And we're either shocked by the running speed or we're shocked by the strength requirements. And either way, you swing to the other pole. <laughs> so like, the strength guys start running like crazy and the runners start working on power like crazy. And in their mind, like the way to train for OCR is you have to get stronger. And I can rely on my running base, but I have to get stronger. But like that can't last. Eventually, you're strong enough to hold and support a sandbag. And suddenly it's a running race again, you know? And (laughs) so like the scope of your training does change with your career. And so I think that OCR is like, you need to develop the power necessary to complete your tasks. But once you have this, oh sorry, you need the strength necessary to complete your tasks. But once you have the strength necessary, all you have to work on is power output after that. So I think everyone needs like this boot camp of either strength or running once they come in, whichever their, their weaknesses, but yeah, then after yep. that, it has to become holistic again. And just, I know I've aired on that. We're going to talk about high rocks at some point. Yeah. yeah for high sure. rocks exposed. I haven't touched a weight in 2019. Hmm. I got comfortable with Spartan race. I haven't failed an obstacle in a couple of years, you know, and, and when I did, it was a fluke like a spear line I stepped on or a wet rig that I slipped or, you know, like I just, I'm strong enough to get through a Spartan race and I had my own blinders on and I didn't listen to my own advice. And I thought like athletically, I can just get through this. I need to prioritize my aerobic development for these ultras I'm trying to run this year. right? And instead of listening to Canova and Salazar and all the other great minds that say you never remove things, you only add to it I added and removed. I just removed strength work entirely. I got this Spartans not making anything crazy, and suddenly you get exposed because the bill always comes due, right? Yeah, and one like, way or another, it comes due. <laughs> and like, at least you found it in like uh,
0: that different type of event without, like, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. But like, I, I kind of want to keep following this um, yeah. because that is something like, and adding and never removing is such a great principle but like for from a coaching perspective and for a lot of our listeners who might not be able to maybe even handle that much or have the time to do more things um how, how do you handle like how do you help the people who want to train for like who want to have strength work who need to have uh more power output like where does that fall like
1: because i think that's what a lot of people are thinking like, yeah. Yeah, it's great to add stuff but like it's funny. I talked to Hunter McIntyre about this today. I called him for advice on this because I started after high Rocks, I started second guessing everything I knew <laughs> and I know that's dangerous. So then I go to my, my brain trust and hunters on in my brain trust nice. when I need advice on Hunter is the classic meathead until you get to know him. And then you realize this man is as well-read as anyone you'll ever meet.
0: Nice. And, he, and again, experience, like he's been yep. a pro athlete. Experience,
1: you know? Yeah. And he surrounds himself. He spends his money on improving things. He surrounds himself mean? with professionals. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, what luckily I got advice from him that m- mirrored what I've been giving out. So I was kind of put at ease about that. But he and I both kind of feel the same thing that you need an initial block of strength training and after that we both believe you can get by on two strength workouts a week as an endurance athlete. Mm. And and so that's what I do. I prescribe two. The athletes who want more, I prescribe a third optional um because I don't feel it's needed, but if you think you need it, then it's necessary, you know, like right. It doesn't matter if it is or not. If you believe it it's true in your world, that's your reality. So I prescribe a third, but I Outside of a strength building block, I'd never prescribe more than three a week. And for most people, two is enough because with two, you can still run volume. You can still hit big workouts. You can build volume on top of that. As long as you hit your strength block earlier in the year, and now you can build off that or maintain it.
0: Yeah. And you can do considerable work and recover well off of two a week. You know, I, I found the same thing. And maybe like, I'll do like two like quality strength workouts and maybe like two like Ten minute circuits or something like that. Just okay. to keep keep things moving, you know. Um, yeah. But I really like that. And, and
1: you're going to lose weight throughout the year, right? Like as your volume rises, you're going to lose weight, and so as you lose a little bit of strength, it's often offset by the weight loss, and that your power to weight ratio holds steady, or sometimes even increases. So I think that two a week is plenty to keep that intact. Mm.
0: Yeah, that, that's a great. And is that kind of like your same idea? Like we're talking about general strength. I think most people think, you know, deadlift squats and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, also something that it's like, where is enough? It's like grip strength work. Like how yep. much grip do you put into your program? When are you strong? Like you said, you haven't failed a, a Spartan obstacle. Like, okay, your grip strength is good enough. But like, do you go to
1: something? My technique is good enough. My strength is acceptable. Right. You know, that- I believe there's no such thing as too much grip work as long as you stay healthy. Mm. Um but again everyone kind of finds their comfort zone. It's about confidence with grip work because I coming in, I am not as strong as I was coming out of college in terms of some of my lifts. I was running way less volume back then and I was lifting way more. But I know how to move through an obstacle now. Mm. And I have the confidence that I can just attack it casually and confidently. And I don't have to take every ounce of my strength and really grip onto things and you You know, it's an embarrassment of riches. The more confident you are, the more efficient you are. A lot of these, you know, people who are super strong and unsure have to use all that strength every second. So it's about each person finding that comfort zone. But I think grip strength is one of those things. It's like grip strength is like running volume to me. Like as long as you can handle it, that's a good amount. And you can always add more as long as you're healthy and happy. That's a
0: good, I like the idea like the, uh, of, like knowing how to do it, having the experience. And I think that's what we're seeing from these athletes now, like Nicole Miracle and, and Aaron Newell, like they're, yeah. they're probably not super strong. But when you see him move through these things, they're like blowing people's minds, right? Like the way- yeah. they And in.
1: both of them have that super rock climbing ability. Right. Aaron's a high level rock climber. And so he's and, obviously- and Nicole's getting there. Totally. And like, so they're obviously strong and
0: they have definitely some intangibles that way, but yeah. even just how they move on the obstacles, yep. That's they more get what
1: they just get it right. It's not yeah. they're not I look back forward. now. My first, if if I had come into Spartan this year for the first time, I'd do one hundred twenty burpees my first race. I would <laughs> fail four opticals. because I don't know. I wouldn't have known. Like Twister, I would fail. Oh, true. Beater, I would fail. Olympus, uh, the right. rig, I would fail. Yeah. Maybe Olympus. Like, th- there is just the know how that goes with it. You no know, part of old man strength is is an old man know how. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I agree with the grip
0: strength thing, and, and just however you can kind of put that in and be part of, part of your. I
1: like it as finishers, finishers to workouts,
0: finishers and do you put to it in
1: your workouts too. Like, will you? Because
0: I've found it's kind of sometimes it's hard just uh, logistically to like do a hard workout and have a pull up bar. I
1: only it. prescribe it. If I know the athlete's setup,
0: they say like, Oh, I have a pull up bar next to, next to tri- yeah. track or something. Like
1: yeah. That. In a perfect world. Yeah. That's real race specific. And I like specificity of training, but um, in practicality, I like it as finishers to strength days.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I like even doing something like assault bike repeats and like, that might just be easier rowing or something. And then off yep. doing pull-ups or something like that. Yeah. Um, so one, one thing for that I've, been trying to navigate as well in, in athletes and a lot of like you know age group athletes, people who are being competitive as you can possibly put it out with you know full time jobs and everything. And, and they're kind of restricted by the amount of um travel they're going to be doing, they kind of you know they take the races that are presented to them, so it's like okay, they're yeah. doing a sprint and then they also want to do an ultra. Which is two weeks later. So like, yep. and like, this they, is my region, and this is what's off. What I have to do, and this is like, yeah. and, and like, you've had some experiences here, and uh, of going from the very short distances. Like you right now are in second place in the stadium. Stadium? Are you calling it State ion I think I'm going to have to, but I'll wait till next year. We're going to make it right. Wait till Okay, you've you got to call it on now. Um, well, there's
1: a world championship next year. I feel like at that point. That makes it a legitimate, legitimate word. That's, that's fair. <laughs> um, so you're in second place now. Last year you won, right? Won the previous two.
0: Previous two. Okay. So like, yeah. and, and the, the stadium races are essentially like, you know, uh, like takes long, like an 8K, 10K time. So they're shorter than what normal spark yeah. races would be. 20 to 28 minutes. For sure. So like a, a, a faster road race. Um, but you've also done an ultra this year. So like you've had experience, mm-hmm. you've done ultras in the past. So you've had experience kind of doing these multiple distance races that are like the complete
1: opposite. Yeah. So how do you navigate that? how do you like help your av- athletes navigate these types? I'll of tell things? you, that's the reason I did it. Mm. I last year and the year before had some guys and a gal that were prepping for ultras. And I was writing, as I was writing their plan, I realized a, this is kind of intriguing to me for the first time in years. I suddenly want to do one again. And B I can't feel it anymore. Hmm. Like I'm looking at the schedule and I, I believed in the workouts and I'd used it in the past, but it was so ancient. It was four or five years ago. I couldn't feel it anymore. And I felt like that was dangerous. I know there are coaches who are extremely successful into their later years, years after they were racing, but our sport's so visceral. It's a unique visceral sport. And it's ever changing that I, I realized I need to feel it again so that I can trust what I'm saying is what I should be saying. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was one of my fun challenges for this year was I wanted to win an ultra and the stadium series in the same year. And I believed that you could do that off training that would be like 80% or 85% universal and 15 to 20% specific in zones throughout the year.
0: Meaning volume and and yeah. expanding
1: the speed. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and my, I think that's an audacious claim if there wasn't a precedent for it you have um i think the easiest way i always cuz my my world was track and field growing up every single year at monaco in that 1500 meter someone breaks 330 that's not a miler mm. I, you know um mo Farrow's done it twice uh, there's some other guys they're not springing to mind right now but the great 10k guys can all crack off a mile and the great half marathoners can all crack off a 3k And some of them can crack off a mile. And what it showed me is that so much of what we consider speed is strength. And if that's true, then a 25-minute stadium race is essentially a minute and a half to two minutes slower than an elite 10K. Mm -hmm. So if I'm really running an 8K to a 10K distance, that means I can also run a good marathon. Right. But it doesn't mean that, right? you can't extend up to a half marathon off an AK training and you damn sure can't extend up to a marathon off AK training, but so you're thinking off down. half for marathon training, you can always extend down and sharpen up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so that was my, that was my mentality build volume, really get my anaerobic and aerobic thresholds as high as I could, and then spice it up with a uh, quick stuff throughout the year. And then when I wanted to, before stadiums do some specific just two two and a half weeks of specific training and and get down to that yeah because there's a thing that'd be said about like race sharpness right and that feeling of what like that's the feeling yeah like
0: knowing that it's there knowing you're strong enough to like okay like i'm here like i can keep going um which if you come into a stadium Or an 8K, 5K uh,
1: cold, like you'll, you might forget, but it comes back really fast. Yeah. Um, And the nice thing about stadiums is that I almost feel like it's safer than a 5 or an 8K where after the initial burst, the stair running slows things down. Like you can only run upstairs so fast. And the bleachers, like they're weird. Like you get stuck behind people and like, you can't. I'm rarely running faster than 10K pace on the flats. Yeah. You know, what, what would you consider your ten K pace right now? Are you around five twenty? Yeah, I was to saying like five fifteen probably. Yeah, like I'm yeah. rarely running under five twenty after the first five to ten minutes of a stadium race. And I'm like, right about that five twenty to five forty fatigued running pace where it feels like four fifty, but it's and, not. And probably only for like
0: what, two minutes at a time, yeah. a minute at a time. Yep.
1: The longest stadium stretches you get are those ramps to the top, and that's maybe three to four hundred meters of running
0: and they'll put some shit know? in there they'll give you like a those like low yeah. wires of yeah, so really
1: it comes down to the stairs and that's now hill running and mountain running so hmm. it was I was confident that I could run beast prep move up to the ultra as best I can, but drop down to a stadium with some work. But that's kind of, that goes in line with the never dropping things that required keeping in touch with speed in some sense, even if it's just fast strides the day before workouts or after my, you know, going four by 200 after a tempo workout. You know, this summer I ran a 50 K and the week before I ran a one mile road race and it was like, it was perfect. It was like the microcosm of my season. I ran my first trail 50 K and I ran a one mile road race within 10, nine days of each other. And it went well, both races went well. And it it was cool to see like, yeah, you can do this. And I, and I liked that idea
0: because it does encourage people to do more and like push that a little bit. Cause it does give you more flexibility. It just does. Like if you train for a stadium race and like you only run three miles at a time, like, the, there's not much else you can do even if you wanted to change the training within your stadium training like you still need to build that so yeah. that's a, a a strong takeaway is to work that volume and to really yeah. continue to build um and build when you can because we don't have too much of an off season so like build during the year and is that kind of what you're doing like you're keep pushing people up or and yourself like to build out through the whole entire year
1: essentially yeah and at the same time i like to think of bulletproofing ourselves athletically one of the beauties of endurance racing is there are so many facets to it and so many styles of competition you can jump in and i think one thing that keeps people feeling young athletically is jumping into things from time to time mm. mm-hmm. you know being a an ultra runner who jumps into a stadium or a stadium runner who like all right i want to run a mountain beast or an ultra i want to run a 50 miler and that new pursuit is really invigorating. And I think being as close to bulletproofed physically and cardiovascularly, cardiovascularly as possible makes it easier to have fun with those jumps. Mm. It's not fun to go out there and bonk and crash and die. And hope but it's fun it, to go and yeah. in, in fight and hurt and come through and think, I can survive just about anything. And that's why we're here. That's why this sport exists. You know, like that's it what is. people
0: are trying to do. Making sure that they it's can for get People
1: out. looking for a bit more. Mm. And that doesn't mean better, just more than what they're getting anywhere else or people that need something else in order to be competitive. But r- no matter what it is, it leads to that rash decision making on racing from time to time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's funny yeah. talking to people after races is like, man, that bucket carrier, right? That sucked. And they'll like laugh about it, like, like love the crazy, terrible parts of it. And, yeah. you know, but that's that's what we're doing. Um. Yeah. So, yeah. So just like if you had to say like one thing for like, that you're seeing, cause you've been in this for so long that you want to help kind of correct people like, or what you might see they're doing wrong. Like just real quick, like what kind of thing would you like have that like kind of just shape people, push them in a different direction?
1: I kind of have just like two main tenants that if people can hit, they're doing like 80 to 90% of it. Right. And the first is have a purpose for your quality days. The days where you're running hard or you're working hard, have a sequential purpose for it. So what you're doing tomorrow should affect what you're doing next month. And it should be dictated by what you did last month. So just have a general idea. It doesn't even, you don't even have to be super specific, but like have a general reason for why you're doing your quality. Some sort of progression, something that's built, like taking. Yeah, I love progressions. Yeah, it's the best. (laughs) It's like spot workouts are great when you're sharpening up for something that popped up out of the blue.
0: Yeah, but just but, doing like the, for lack of a better term, like the wad, the workout of the day. Like, yep. mm,
1: that's yep. not. That is exercising. That's exercising. And right. if you're going right. to compete, you should huh. train. Right. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is, is I think that the vast majority of athletes need to slow down mm. on their easy runs and and prioritize their recovery runs. That my personal running journey took a leap for the better when I stopped being a workout warrior on my non-workout days when I stopped caring what pace I ran on my easy days. And when I made my recovery days, recovery days, my workouts got a whole lot better. And as a result, my racing got better.
0: And like, well, so yeah, it, those
1: two things hit your hard days, hard hit your easy days, easy it's real <laughs> simple.
0: And yet we make it hard. It's, it's, it's way harder, especially for someone who isn't versed. Like you said, it took how many years? Like I, I experienced the same thing in my collegiate program. Like we just banged every day. We just hit it hard. Yeah. Um, And And I, I
1: got, I got ridiculed. My senior, my, my first senior year of college, I went out, no, it was my fifth year, my fifth year. I went out for cross for the first time since my freshman year. Let's go. (laughs) And, and I was like, you know what, let's just put all the chips on the table this year. I did my first summer of real good training. I want to run cross. I want to build so that I'm ready for track. And I got mocked by the team for letting them drop me on our easy runs and our long runs. And, and I'd run half the runs with the girls team. (laughs) Because it was like, I don't need to run 6.10 today on every day. I'll run 7.10. I'll run 8.10 if I need to because we did K's yesterday. We've yeah, got I'm quarters tired. tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, why would I run? Like, for me, 6.10 pace, that's – at the time, like, I don't think I could have run a marathon at 6.10 pace in college. Why right. am I it's running faster than marathon pace on my recovery day? It just didn't – and it took until I was a fifty year senior to have the confidence and the wherewithal to even, like – to act on that
0: yeah and that's and, and even then like people it like i know it took me even longer than that and like a yeah similar story Like there was one guy on our team who would get dropped and it just seemed like he was lazy and yeah. but he would race well and be like how is this guy who we thought sucked because he couldn't hang on regular runs like how does Damn. he race well and and it just seemed like the, the runners on our team it was like the the, the studs who could handle that type of work, like the two or three top yeah. guys ran well. And then this, the shithead who like didn't try, it seemed like also ran well. Yeah. And, but yeah, looking back, it's like, Oh, well, he just wasn't banged up all the time. Um, and that's
1: tough because as athletes, as humans, we are like designed we're wired to do what we see successful people doing. Yeah. And in any other walk of life, like we wouldn't jump into a master's business class, Without having taken the prerequisite core component classes, but we'll do that with running. We'll say this guy runs six fifteen every day. That's what it takes to be good. It's Like no, it takes his one thirty five heart rate on his easy days to be good. His six fifteen is a byproduct of that. Yeah, and we forget that. And a lot of college programs just throw two dozen eggs at the wall, the yeah. seven that don't you get, break. You get seven out, out there. Yeah,
0: um, <laughs>
1: and, and we we see the other, you know, the other twenty runners are. Are lazy, or they're injury prone, or they're not committed. But they're just fun. I mean, that's just tough. kind of
0: the, the the product of it. And that's um, something that is very hard for like the new runner. And a lot of these the obstacle course race athletes are not seasoned runners, right? They're someone who just came into this later. They're not endurance athletes mm-hmm. um, by experience, so they see their easy pace. Like they don't consider their fast pace fast. You know, like their eight yep. minute pace is sub marathon pace and but they're like but it's eight minutes a mile it's not a fast pace and um but for them it is so like is there a way that you like kind of like help people outside of just pace um or even heart rate for instance because people like will just ignore that um yeah. that you can kind of like let people know it's like if you're if you're feeling this it's too fast or like this is how it feels to run so like how do you kind of get that across to people
1: i mean I i try to use some cues you know like like run with a buddy and you guys have to talk tomorrow, run mm. with your wife. You have to talk the whole time. If you can't, uh, there are times where, you know, I'll, the newer, the runner, the more cues I give them to look for, but I'll try to do breathing tests with them. And, but really it's, it's buy-in like if they can't buy in off your words, then they have to be shown. And a lot of times I'll share my Strava runs with people. I'm like, I ran 8:40 today. There was, <laughs> I was blown up and it was either get on the bike or run that pace. And I decided I didn't want to bike today, but this is what I ran. And this is what I ran two days ago. Here's what my interval paces were. I was running three minutes slower per mile today. Yesterday, you ran 20 seconds per mile slower than what you ran today. Mm -hmm. And One was an interval day and one was a recovery day. Like, Look at, and sometimes it takes that visual. Sometimes it takes a in-person run. Whenever, if I can, I like from time to time to run with someone I'm coaching with. You know it's hard to make it work, but and just show them there's no ego on easy days. Mm. There's no ego on recovery days. Take pride in running, and and running relaxed.
0: Yeah, it's a good way to put it. And like, yeah, for the people out there creeping on Strava, creep on all of the Strava, not just like the fast workouts, because you'll see that across the board. Like that's just yeah, that's just how it is. Like in the relationship
1: between the runs, you know, as someone. Who will look at your run and be like, "Yeah, but he just ran ten miles at six twenty pace." It's like that's fine, but look at the title of the run, and now look at it compared to tomorrow's run. Yeah. And see What'd what his gap is. Yeah. Like you're running eight flat every day, and I and in your five kpr is twenty one. So I know that like you're running too fast on your days. But they say, "Well, you know, Joe Schmoe in my age group, he hits eight flats on his runs, so I have to be able to hit eight flats." I mean, that's a tough battle to fight to convince people that you have to hit whatever effort you have to hit and you have to trust the fact that your times will come down over time. And if they don't, then maybe Joshua is just more talented, but you got to give it the long road to get there. And that you're right. Like, how do you convince someone, how do you convince an adult that they need to not work as hard? Right. That's really
0: tricky. Cuz when it yeah, cuz endurance it seems like okay, the harder you run the faster you run like the better, the more is better, the faster is better. Um but it's more nuanced than that and it takes that patience to really see it through. Um, and I found that with cross
1: training too. I thought, I used to think that prescribing bike days was my safe way around that. I there's there's some guys I've worked with in the past where I just don't give them an option. I just program their recovery days as easy spin. Yeah. And uh and I found that They'd hop on and do a peloton workout. And it's like, oh, God. here I was. I thought I was like, like, so can, ah, can I go to flywheel that day? And said, oh, there's
0: orange theory class. Can I pop in that?
1: Yeah, and I check out a Strava or I see a Garmin Connect and saw like a 188 heart rate, and I'm like, man, I just shot myself in the foot. I thought I, <laughs> I, thought I outsmarted you, but. Nope.
0: nope, they're gonna work. They're gonna work our One was like,
1: oh yeah, but then I
0: did. You know, I just did you know 100 burpees after that. It was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, I don't want to take you all, all, all night, man, but I, uh, you have time to talk a little High Rock stuff? Yeah, yeah kids um, are asleep. Yeah, we're here. We're, we're chatting. We, I'm like halfway through this non-alcoholic beer. Dude, we're doing great. How's your, right. uh, your foe? Got an empty here. Yeah, just crushing them back. Um, so, yeah, this High Rocks event is so appealing, and it's it got, got some buzz. Um, and it was just this past weekend. So one, why don't you just kind of give everybody kind of like a quick rundown of like what it was and, you know, what you experienced.
1: Yeah, it, it's basically a a circuit competition race. It's, it's really cool. It's this uh, German company. They held a whole season in Europe last year, and they just came over to the U.S., but it's it's the same workout every single time. And so it's eight by 1,000, 1,000-meter thousand run, and then you do a strength station, and it's eight rounds of that. And it's the same strength rate, uh, stations at every competition. So you go 1,000-meter run, 1,000-meter ski erg. 1,000-meter run, then you do a heavy sled push, 25 meters down, then back. 1,000-meter run, 25-meter sled pull down, 25-meter pull back. 1,000-meter run, uh, 80 meters of burpee broad jumps. 1,000-meter run, 1,000-meter row. 1,000-meter run, 200-meter, no, 200-meter farmer's carry with 70 pounds in each hand. And then 1,000-meter run, um, 100 meter lunge walk with a 70 pound sandbag on your back and then thousand meter run 100 wall balls so thrusters with a ball throw it up hit a target 10 feet up so it's this long grueling workout that requires a ton of power but each run is a full k it's So a lot of running it, you're not you can't it, hide from that <clears throat> in theory the way i looked at it was like this is that 50 50 split this is a competition that this we've all been looking for over. where it rewards athleticism. It rewards power and it rewards aerobic capacity. And I got chewed up and <laughs> it was, it was one of the most like embarrassing, humbling competitions I've ever taken a part of in my life. I have very rarely just like been, like dominated by another human being physically on like a strength and performance level. Like even when things are going wrong, I can find a way to like scrap by or like find something. But I was just, just beaten like a little child. And you
0: mentioned you hadn't touched a weight all year. Um, yeah. When you got there, were I you had, like,
1: oh shit. Like. Uh, no, because uh, three weeks out. So the week after Tahoe, uh, the ultra that I DNFed <laughs> uh, four and a half hours in. God, um, <laughs> it saved me. I didn't have the last 3000 feet of descent. So I recovered real quick. Yeah. I, so, uh, f- five days after that, I did the full high rocks workout in my backyard, uh, straight through for time. Yeah. You have a sled, you have a sled and I smashed it. Yeah. I took two minutes off. What'd the you world push? Did you push it from like from last year? Uh, I have a sled, You have but you I, push I pushed it it on the, the concrete or whatever. Yeah. On the concrete. Yeah. Um, and I pulled on the concrete and that was difficult. And that should be harder than turf, right? Yeah. Well, they don't have turf. They have like a carpeted thing, okay. but yeah, I, 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 was slow at it and it hurt, but I was able to get through it and I thought, well, I'll give up a little bit of time, but I'll be faster on whatever service they have. Was it under the like hour? Was it like
0: when you did it in practice? Yeah, I it went it...
1: 5630.
0: Yeah. Which
1: would be, which would be like they have a world, there's a world
0: record because 50, it's eight 30 was the record and they can have that because it's standardized. So like you
1: yep. in theory, you should but it's not, and we learned that. Mm. Um, i have talked with the guy a little bit. The run circuits have been a little iffy in the past and transition areas. Huge. We had a full extra K of just transitions on race day. Oh, wow. Really?
0: Yeah. I heard that. I heard yeah, that well, was 30,
1: 120 to 130 meters. You entered on one side left on the other.
0: Uh, so, so you it always
1: did. A- so it was legit like three, four minutes of transition running. Yeah, so to put it in perspective, Hunter McIntyre won. He beat the previous world record holder who's in better fitness now by three and a half minutes, and he didn't break an hour. Right. Yeah. So, uh, it was it was rigged because they had a 5K bonus on a world record. Oh,
0: nah, Really?
1: Yeah. So I'm assuming, I'm sure why? they rigged it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, so I thought like in the workout, I was always tired, but like fatigued running is my thing. And these functional movements, I'm athletic enough, and I have enough accumulated strength over the years. That like I can do this stuff, and I was just Mm -hmm. not prepared. We got to that first sled, and the traction was really rough on that carpet. It was heard this on the for your
0: shoes. You mean like you couldn't?
1: Yeah. So it it moved okay, but your feet didn't want to dig in great. But that was across the board. Like Mm -hmm. you had good shoes for it, or you didn't. And we're all in flats. You know, yeah, so like what, it, what people... were good
0: shoes for that? Like,
1: You know, mine weren't bad, and actually, I actually have them right here. I wore the Adios. Okay. Boots. Yeah, they had like continental rubber on the bottom, and I figured like we're running on polished concrete. The the run loop was – we are in a convention center, so we were running on polished concrete, and I thought like those continental rubber bottoms are going to grip on t- if we have tight turns as well as anything. Mm. So, so I didn't have an excuse. <laughs> My footwear wasn't any worse than anyone else's. Um, but then the carpet, it was laid down and they can't tack it into the ground. So they have to tape it and they just can't have it stretched taut like a carpet layer would do. And so when you push your sled, just a little bit would bunch. And so you have to overcome the bunching. Faye actually really struggled with the bunching for a while. Um, so that was tough. And it was, it was, uh, it was over 400 pounds for the push. And so that extra resistance and having to grind so hard with your feet slipping, it just required like maximal exertion the whole time. And when I trained, I didn't have to use maximal exertion. Mm-hmm. That that was a big difference for me. And then on the pull, um, they, I trained with a rope that was maybe half inch thick and they had battle ropes. Okay, they did. And so you're gripping like this and you can't, I couldn't wrap it around my wrist oh. like that. And you're slipping on the carpet, pulling back and it's bunching up. And I heard it was kind of like slanted. Like was it the sled was like moving? Was that right? It it would get out of your lane side to side. But I think it was just, I'm not sure what it was, but what I do know is that when your footing was compromised and you couldn't like really do a whole lot with your body, you were, you were reduced down to how you could crush the, and the ropes were new. So they had that like little bit of a waxy coating and we're dripping sweat. So it was so slick. Because so you were reduced hot. down <laughs> okay. oh. to your crushing power and how hard you could pull. And that's where my lack of strength really came in because, you know, I was significantly weaker than most of the men I was competing against. So the first round, I came in after the first K in third. Real mm. comfortable. Ran like 320, 325, like feeling like I was mostly aerobic for that first K. Left the skier again, like fifth or sixth, ran back to third, coming into the push, left the push in like ninth, ran back to fourth, coming into the pole. And I got to the pole like 10 or 15 seconds behind Ryan Kent. And by the time I finished it and left out on transition, he was coming back in from his next K. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. I oh lost no. <laughs> minutes right there. By the end, my arms were so blown out that I took everything I could get just to pull the slack of the rope in, and then I'd move it like four to six inches. Uh. So it literally took like a hundred pulls to get it <laughs> maximal <laughs> pulls. I was blown out, and I never recovered. So from that moment on, like I ran a three fifty nine. My next K, Oof.
0: and, and then like that the was arms actually were so like blown third up
1: fastest in the field. Everyone was hurting. I and saw the that run; was... I ran like four ten. And then like 358 and then like four because we did burpee broad jumps. I was four ten. And I couldn't at that point every step of the way I was fully aware that like I'm moving at a snail's pace, but I'm just I never recovered. I was destroyed. Hmm. Hundred wall balls at the end might as well have been a million.
0: Yeah, was that brutal? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I had nothing to race for. I was in ninth place (laughs) sitting there. It was it
0: was bad. And that's a move that you have to like that's a cross move that you have to like do and like rep and like kind of know what that's going to feel like at, at that
1: point. And I, I'd, I'd done it for, you know, I had three weeks to prep for this. Yeah. yeah. So I had done it like I had at the end of workouts, got it down to four 30, nice. um, you know, at the end of a, an hour long workout. And I did it in like seven, seven and a half, yeah. seven minutes in the race. <laughs> like I was just leaking time everywhere. Just. It was pathetic. Do you think it, so are you going to do another one? I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm not going to do the next one. You're not doing New York. I'm not. Yeah. But I, I'm not going to do another one until I believe I'm ready. I'm not going to spend money to travel. Cause I don't, I don't have a sponsor that will cover a non OCR race. I'm not going to spend my own OCR? money. That's not are considered you? OCR yet. I don't think so. I guess it's not really obstacles. I was like, I, I have know. a shoe deal, and I can't wear my OCR shoes there, so like that won't cover. Do you think it. you could? Do you it. think that would
0: work well on you know, that
1: carpet? It might. I, I'm I'm going to bring them to the next one and test it out. Because I thought about but, that, I was like, maybe if you bring like a light. Truck so, anyways, there. I have 12 weeks to put in a serious block of power training for Chicago. Yeah, I I, just, I can't show up to another one of these without being significantly more powerful.
0: Because mm. it is just the good news up is,
1: output. My system is ripe for like improvements. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know? you got like, games. It can't get worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. It was bad, but it was an awesome event. It was so professional. It looked like a combination of, of the CrossFit games and like a stage show. They had like laser lighting and it was, it was awesome. Nice. It was so clean and well presented. So you'd recommend it for just I would. general, general people looking for
0: a new challenge type of deal.
1: Yep. And there's age group, there's open, like you can go out there and do your own thing. You don't have to turn yourself inside out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but if you want to, there's, there's opportunity to do that. And you're going to find something else out about yourself. Yeah. You're and, going to come out of that knowing what you need to work on. And what was the running like? Was it just loops? Was it, what, yep, you run? it was, uh, it was, it was a quarter mile loop. So it was two and a half laps per K.
0: Oh, cool. So you could, and that's why the transitions were all funny. Cause you went out the same yep. spot and came back. Yep, the opposite life. sides. Huh, nice. So, um, well, it's cool. So, what's next for you then? Like, what do you? So, you're gonna do Fenway? Yeah. Well, so so I have to win out. To do to year. win out, like even well, what what, what Isaiah? Well, I dug a yet?
1: hole. I I don't know if you remember. I had that hammy issue early in the year, so I ran the first race at like I aerobically the whole time. I couldn't do anything. Oh fast. yeah, but you were like so I, I guess you were like top ten, right? Or were you even I took third there. But, oh yeah, um, it was it w- it wasn't the big dogs didn't show up. It was Isaiah. Okay. Um, Matt Kempson took second there.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, you know he was clearly like the third best guy there. Like Hunter Kent. Um, I'm trying to think who else does in these. Uh, Killian's Killian, come sometimes, like, yeah. You like you you would have taken second there. Like not a, you might have won that day. Mm. Like. The guys who can do this well weren't there.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and then the second one, I, I blew it. Uh, Isaiah made up a 35-second lead on the assault bike at the end. Or like Jeez. a 30-second lead. He can hammer that thing. It was <laughs> disgusting. I've never seen anything like that. But anyway, so I dug myself a hole. Um, so, so I have he, to win out. So he – but even if he gets like third or fourth, like uh, – Oh, well, that, just, that'll change things, yeah. I have, yeah. To, I have to win out against him. I have to beat oh, he him has to beat times okay. and go top three. Okay. But yeah, so it's very doable, but Definitely, Fenway yeah. is his best. Fenway is historically right around 22 minutes and it's there's shorter. no running stretch longer than hundred meters. Yeah, that's good for him. <laughs> it's yeah. Very good. So and last year, like he can get, it's so tight there. He, last year he got to the front and controlled from the front, just wouldn't let anyone pass. <clears throat> and so if they have a salt bike or a Ram burpees at the end, you're screwed. Like you have to build up 35 seconds on him to, or 40 seconds going onto the field. If they have one of those things at the end. He's so powerful and he's putting up numbers at the CrossFit open that are like
0: real CrossFit impressive. He's like a hundredth in the world right now. So powerful. It's unbelievable. Like for him to be able to At the end
1: of high rocks, he was 75 seconds down from Kent and 80 and 90 seconds down from second place. And he passed them both. He went unbroken on a hundred wall balls at the end of it. Oh my God. (laughs) An hour into the race, he went unbroken on a hundred wall balls. He did it in like 3.18 or 3.20. Oh my God. <laughs> His power output while fatigued is ridiculous, but it's like, it's like a, a six shooter with a bullet or two. Like he can put one or two of those out and he's toast. <laughs> yeah. Like if, if a salt bike's in the middle of the race, you're set. If it's at the end, like he he's going to empty he, the tank and you can't let let do it a go. thing about it. Yeah. Yeah. I have to get through Fenway. And then after that, yeah, Oracle Park is two weeks later is the finale. And then just straight train through High Rocks. And then hopefully in the meantime, they release the stadium world championship schedule for next year. Because if they officially release that, like, I'm just all in for state. I won't do a thing but train for stadiums. So you're going to try keep, to keep some course title. next year? Yeah. Well, if they have a world championship, I, I can't pass up an opportunity to have a chance to win a world title. That'd be sweet. I've never won an individual world title that mattered. What didn't matter? What did you have? Well, I never? mean, like they've, there've been like some little things that said like, this is the short course world championship oh, I see, or this I see. is the whatever world champion, like a Spartan world Legit championship. World championship. Or, yeah. I, I, ha- I don't have that. And that ship has sailed in long course OCR for me. <laughs> I know that like that's, there's no way around that, but this, if there's a shot for it, I, I gotta go after it. What do you know? Where's it going to be? Do you have any idea? I don't have confirmation on anything. Um but just reading between the lines, I'm I would not be surprised if Abu Dhabi gets the World Championship for the the World Championship beast. Mm-hmm. And they already have a stadium race there. They have a massive track and soccer stadium, so I wouldn't be surprised. This this is there's no facts behind this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just fun. I wouldn't be surprised if they host it in the same week or the same weekend the stadium and the the World Championship. Uh huh? Yeah, because I was. In, and and if I'm, they do that, I yeah. hope they do it the same day. Yeah, definitely. So they should do <laughs> so it that same day. Otherwise, it's if you can't double it's back like a day or two later, people will double back. Yeah,
0: they shouldn't. They they should make it. I'll be I'll
1: duck competition for a world title. <laughs> <it's like.
0: laughs> I'm also curious to see like, um, if they are going to put any other like elements to separate it even more, like the like the Ram Burpees. That is definitely a a push toward strength power output athletes crossfit mm-hmm. athletes like are we gonna see a heavy tire flip or something like that are we gonna see other things that are gonna be i, gonna I have no knowledge two. on
1: that but i i'm torn i want more of that in there because it's in my wheelhouse but it's also another people like the, the heavier they make it the more it helps a hunter because they will fully yeah. come after it Definitely. if they put a world championship out, out there he's going to come up ready to to race totally so yeah let's have some 11 foot walls you know, let's, let's have some funky <laughs> stuff in there but shoot a basketball <laughs> yeah let's, let's get weird with it um yeah that, that's the, I, that's what
0: i'm thinking uh, it, like just because i don't love the overlap i think it's cool that Achillian could win the world championship um, it's like props to him that he can win a world championship at a beast and then win a yeah a stadium but like i don't necessarily think like
1: it should be that way. I think they should be the, different. The way that that stadium, it's it's a big soccer stadium, so it's more like an AT stadium. That kind of thing is basically a mountain sprint with a few rep based obstacles. Like mm. we had two thousand feet of vert at AT Two thousand? Did you really? Thousand feet? Yeah. What? Like, that's a mountain sprint. Yeah. <laughs> it was a thirty eight minute race. Like it. It's crazy. So you're right. There is a lot of overlap. And, and I, I can't distance myself enough to like objectively say that's a good or bad thing because I think it's a bad thing because it hurts my chances.
0: Right. right. (laughs) So for the
1: sake of the sport, I don't think I'm in position to like say, Hey, you know, (laughs) you need to change because I'm too invested in it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And And they
1: used to have rowers in it and I've done skier before.
0: I did the row. My first stadium, it it must have been the year you took off because I did 2013 Mm -hmm. Citizens Bank and then I didn't do Spartan Race for a couple years I actually years hadn't after that. done one yet. I yeah, didn't do you one hadn't until a Stadium at all because I was looking back at the no. results recently, and I expected to see you there or see you had won, and yeah. you had won a bunch of the years before, or no, a oh, bunch the, of years the, after. Yeah. And the year that it, like you just weren't there, and there was a bunch of people who I, I have no idea who was like Magida, and I don't know who else
1: yeah. was there. Um. Well, cool, they man. Had a baseball and a football throw at those in the past. No way. Like, in a you know, like a target. Like throw it through a target. Yeah. <laughs> it was chaos. <laughs> it was chaos, but I loved it.
0: Uh, yeah. The, the rower, if they bring that back, because that was a brutal, because I was like, I know how to row. I do but I can do this. I'm yeah. getting off that rower. I was that was like, the first oh time God, I touched a rower. Dizzy. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. How'd this gear go you? for you?
1: Uh, it was, it was not fast. I kept the same pace as my rower. I just kept it at like 155, 156 per 500. That's smart. I didn't. I didn't, I don't have a background on those. So I didn't trust myself to go faster and then find out that I dug a hole. And, and at that point, like I was, I was in the race at the ski erg, So I wanted to be able to get off it and hit the gas. And by the row, I was such a mess. Anyways, I, I just like, just closed just my closed, eyes. Closed there, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: The ski erg. I was surprised how much it blows up your core. You know, it's like, it ends up being
1: like yeah. really smoking. And that, that was another highlight. I need to get back to core. Yeah. And I believe in core work, and I just I got away. So, what about you? What's your plan for the next year? What are you going um,
0: after?
1: So, I I've, I've just to like echo your
0: sentiment as the the ultra. So, I'm trying. to I'm going to do the Carolina Ultra. Um, oh, cool. Along this the same year. this year, yeah, along the same. Yeah. So, my volume got pretty high going into Tahoe, and I was like, all right. And I started thinking about it then, and I was like, all right, cool. I'll just kind of keep this thing rolling. Um, and for the, almost for the same thing. What just, did? Uh, I was at eighty two. 84 last week. Okay. Um, yeah. With some vert with like, I think I had six or seven. And so I was on my feet a while. And uh, so doing that, but just to like see what it's singles like. Singles or doubles? Uh, singles. Yeah. On singles. That's yeah. Yeah. So I'm already at the point where I need to start adding in doubles, but I'm not going to have, I don't have enough time to really build out more. I'm going to get, I'm going to do New Jersey yeah. this next week. Um, so I'm going to come down next week a little bit and then have like two more weeks to kind of build up
1: into it. So is that three weeks out or four weeks out Jersey?
0: Uh, Jersey's next week.
1: No, I'm saying from your ultra. Uh, three. Yeah. Three. Are you going to do a back to back week day that weekend or are you going to treat it as just Jersey? I was thinking about it cause they have a trail.
0: Um, mm-hmm. so I was thinking about doing all three, just doing like the, the super to sprint, and then doing the trail plus earning opportunities. Got to try to make some dollars when you're not doing these things. Um, So considering it, uh, but if not, I'll just come back and do a long run uh, from home. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to see what that journey was like and see what it's like to to feeling what that volume is like. And, uh, knowing what it's like to not want to do speed because you're just tired all the time is because of the miles and then just the the beat down. So, and and just knowing what it's like on race day is something that I I really want to give it a shot. I've never done anything over a marathon distance. So um, outside
1: of OCR, I've never run a race. Well, until this year, I'd never run a race longer than an AK until this year. Oh, outside of OCR. Yeah. Yeah, Outside of OCR. Oh, you've never never done You've never done full. (laughs) No. no, I never had any desire to. No, oh, when I ran my f- my first beast and ultra, um, in 2012, at that point I had – yeah, still 8k was the longest I'd run outside of OCR in a race. Yeah,
0: and I guess like they sniffed you out of the the triathlon world before you could really start to hit hit the roads, hit the full I on never the really end of it.
1: Either.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> retired for it like
1: two summers ago or something. Right before Tahoe it was like a last like go out and hurt day. And I thought it was pretty cool. Everyone talks about that T two being terrible, mm, coming okay. off the bike and running. And you know what? It you're, you're felt fine. like OCR. Yeah, it was bad, but it was no different than like cresting a, a thousand foot climb or getting down with a bucket and then having to run again. Like I thought, this is kind of like this is home right here. And and
0: I feel like try people come into OCR and do f- fairly well. Yeah, like just, they have power output.
1: Working through fatigue.
0: They work through fatigue. You know the yeah. transitions; are not. They don't need to be. I mean, they 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 do rely on rhythm and pace, but like they're okay getting m-
1: mixed up. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. I got right back into Spartan like super sprinter super pace out of that transition. Oh, really? Just like, without even like no training for it. I just like got right in, and I thought like this is exactly how I run out of obstacles. That's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. You're preparing for it like on accident. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, I do want to do a high rocks. Um, I don't know logistically if, or if anything's gonna work on the schedule, but I'm thinking kind of short course too um, next year, just cause like it's, it's, it's hard to train for the mountain stuff, man. It's hard to train for the longer stuff when, you know, I, I, we're yeah. in a similar boat where we're not in the mountains. Um, and it seems to be a significant advantage to live in the mountains for the, these postseason races now. Um, yeah.
1: It hit me in the build up to Tahoe. I did one of my my last big downhill days. I did 12 and a half miles worth of hill reps and I got just over two thousand feet. Oh my god, nah. What do you have? Yeah. What do you what do you do what do you 12 a, what I mean what kind <laughs> of hill <laughs> is that? <laughs> like <is it> a <laughs> big one for us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a couple options. The biggest hill I have, the biggest ski hill within if I drive over three hours, I can get to one that has legit vert for, for the Midwest. Three but hours. The ones I have here is 180 feet gain. Yeah. And you just. My biggest hill. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, so I did it for two and a half hours and I got 2K. At sea level. <clears throat> and then Atkins had one he put up the same day. He did a nine mile run with like 4,500 or 5,500
0: feet. I know. <laughs>
1: I know. I so see all the Colorado people putting up those races. I have my Nordic track right here behind me. You can climb all
0: day, but you can't descend. Yeah. Yeah. And that's big, man. That's going to, that, that, you know, it's a lot of the, going back up that second time. Yeah. I was not envious of when I was thinking about you guys after that first descent, a Tahoe, and I was like, man, if I had to go back up that one again, fuck
1: that. That was the best part of my race. What Where? What ended up happening? I don't I don't know what happened for you that race. I, came, I set a heart rate limit for lap one. Okay. A total heart rate, and I stuck to it. I just waffled between second and fifth. Chris Brown was gone. That dude's a savage. That dude's a monster. Oh, my Unbelievable. God. Unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. Uh, and I came through a transition in fifth, and I was like uh, three minutes behind Glenn, who was in third. And at the top of that climb, I caught him. And uh, he failed his rig. And I made it, and I went through and I got to ape hanger, and I didn't undress at all. The first lap, I took everything off, just in case. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I had no problem with it. And as I transitioned from rope to ape hanger, my glove ripped, and it just bunched up, and I slipped right off into the water. You were wearing receiver gloves? Yeah, yeah. When my hands get cold, they and wet, they are useless. Mm soon like so the I black mitts, tank.
0: like you wouldn't, you like would go those over just because the the tackiness on it. you don't want to even want your hands to be
1: exposed. Well, once those get wet, they're still cold.
0: Yeah, they
1: they're are. not warm, and that's that's enough wetness for me that my hands go useless. Got it. So I had mittens and I had receiver gloves, and I'd throw mittens on to keep my hands warm, and oh, I'd throw, okay. take them off and do the obstacles. Got it. That makes sense. I, it's a system that works for me, but it ripped. It just ripped clean in half. The glove right along the seam just split. What? And like, it, it, I had to have popped threads going through twister prior to that and something else. And as soon as I touched it, like it was enough because I had it, I have it, I cranked down the strap and then it must've, it just, and I went in and suddenly I have nothing dry and I'm soaked. And this is four and a half hours into the race now. And I, I, I just like started to get really cold, but the penalty loop was the crawl and all the open wave beast were in it. They made you do and the so crawl took, for the penalty loop? Oh, that crawl was n- nasty. Well, and it took, it was it was a, a traffic jam. It took like five or six minutes to get through it. Oh and so I'd like God. crawl three feet and then sit there and I just started shivering and shaking. And I got done with that. And the next obstacle was the crawl.
0: Oh. And I went right <laughs>
1: back. Do it back into and it. it. The end of that and I was like, my core was shivering so hard. It gave me hiccups. <laughs> you know, hiccups like, oh, I almost puked on that.
0: It was bad, like
1: hammering I started, your <laughs> I, I'd i hiccup and I'd, ca- I'd cough so hard I'd start to hiccup and then I'd burp hard and then I'd just vomit and it was just water like I wasn't sick oh, I never dude. felt sick I didn't even feel sick coming up but I just couldn't stop so I'd be like huh, 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 <laughs> and then I started <laughs> to run downhill from that down towards double sand running downhill made it cramp worse and I was just coughing and retching and I I couldn't get warm and I had nothing I had nothing dry to put on because I had it all on me and I uh-huh. thought I'm gonna be fine and I wasn't. And I just couldn't warm up and I knew if I could warm up I'd be fine. But the second I took medical help to warm up, like I cut my I had to give up my timing chip.
0: And that's what that's happened. It.
1: You're gonna be like, All right, I'm not doing like I was shaking so hard, like I couldn't stop. And I was going to, I was going to just walk the rest of it shaking and hopefully not keel over. But I got in the truck, went down, got, my hotel was right there. And and I went right to the hot tub and within 30 minutes I was like eating and talking on the phone to Lisa, like, well, I'm good. The next day I ran the whole mountain watching the course, watching the race. I, I, I just- was I got nine and a half miles and like 2,200 feet the next day. <laughs> nice. so I, I could run it. I could run down the hill. Like, I had a couple sub six miles coming down. Like, my legs were working. So I, I realized, like, the training worked, but I was like, I don't know if it was pre hypothermic or what, but like, once I got submerged. <laughs> it sounds like that. You know, <laughs> yeah. So it like a- was cold, but immediately I threw my stuff on and got to work. Yeah. And I couldn't do that.
0: Nah, that's just a shame with that venue because that's really, that was really like the story for so many people, you know? And, and that was just like such a bummer um, for like the age groupers who like, again, don't have these, this access to these things. And they come out there and it's 60 degrees colder than it's been, you know? Yeah. And like, just a little bit how, how about
1: that. How did you feel about your race?
0: I was okay. Um, it was probably my best mountain race at altitude, uh, that of the year. Like the, the big bear was terrible. Utah also didn't go well. Nice struggle, dude. What's that? <sighs> yeah. And like, you know, I, and you know, I'm just not, not prepared enough. Um, for for what I can do, but I, I was okay with it. You know, uh, I definitely the second climb was rough, uh, and I just kind of ran out of gas. But I held on. I, I gave everything I had. I, that
1: was such a low point for me. I wanted to walk off the course there the second time. I was to, a win to get through that second climb and get out of transition.
0: That's I was literally thinking about you guys. I was like, man, if I was going up oh, that first climb again and had to do this one again, fuck and we that. weren't redlining.
1: I felt bad for you guys. Like I didn't have to redline because I had another lap. I thought if I had already redlined for two hours or for 90 minutes, this climb would be death.
0: It was yeah, like freaking Chris Brown passed me on that second lap. I was like, this guy, are you serious? He ran the you ultra he did yesterday.
1: On, did, you, did you see what he did on that first climb? He was like in like fifth, wasn't he? He chilled for like the first quarter mile. And then his legs woke up. He was fourth or fifth to the bucket. That was ridiculous. He's gonna be a problem. He he's, gonna, fresh? he's gonna
0: be a problem in Iceland, he's or in Sweden or whatever. Yeah, he's gonna be like real deal. I
1: mean, he. Would, we were talking after the race, and he was like laughing that I was so distraught by how long the race was gonna be, <laughs> or, or the race, and I was like blown away that fifty k is just like starting to get his wheels turning.
0: Yeah, and like what kind of gain is that? Like was eight thousand feet or something like that? Is like this is we're just moving, and he's like I'm gonna put double back tomorrow. That was unbelievable. Yeah, that was if, when I really if realized the
1: weather in Sweden, he's going to be a problem. He's going to be a problem on the circuit next year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause he, he,
1: really is. he did I uh,
0: race with him in like Seattle and he was just like missing obstacles and like really having a terrible time. And he, he even cleaned that up by the, by the end he'll be and really he, strong.
1: He said afterwards, he still struggles with weather and he struggles with conditions, but he's getting better on that stuff. And that's everyone's learning curve when they come to OCR.
0: Yeah, but you don't realize it was like.
1: Utah next year, West Virginia, Tahoe. He's going to be. It, it sucks for him that they're moving worlds away from Tahoe. Mm-hmm. But he he's gonna. It won't shock me at all if he's on some podiums or even like could win a race.
0: Yeah, I hope so. I like him. He's he's a good dude. Good. If, good. I, to I wanted to
1: dislike him. Yeah,
0: like, can't. I nah. Not. Nah. <laughs> 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 yeah, not. Um. Uh well cool dude yeah man well I really appreciate you hopping on thanks for sharing info ton of great stuff um so
1: what's going on with uh, obstacle dominator for and where can people kind of check you out yeah ObstacleDominator.com. that's that's my podcast that I do with Benny over there yeah yeah uh, yeah and and then uh, Instagram is probably the best way to follow me I just I don't love social media but I understand it's a a necessary evil in this day so. Facebook I pretty much let slide, but Instagram is where I'm at. Check me out. We have some training stuff on there. A little bit, of, a little bit of foolishness, and that's about it. Yeah,
0: and you, you know you're good about posting the stuff you're doing. So people, some good takeaways for what you're, uh, what you're doing in training to help help the other people out there. And you guys at, at Dominator, um, you have some like a training
1: program, right? Yeah, we have like a training template, uh, a training guide. For, for people that don't want coaching, but want guidance. Mm-hmm. So like, I love working one-on-one with people. That's still where my passion is. But for the people who are like, they do it for a few months and then they're like, you know what? I'm comfortable with this. I'd love to run my own training. I just want some direction, maybe great workouts or maybe how to periodize the year or just some progression through the year. That That's what this training guide is. Cool. And where so, can people find that? Uh, at obstacledominator.com. Nice. And are you, are you, are you working with one people one hour right now? Or do you, are you? Yeah. And in fact, uh, this weekend I'm, I'm opening up for 2020. Cool. So the off season push <laughs> in our sport is already upon us. For sure. First mm-hmm. big race is February. February. So that's <laughs> so back in season. Yeah. And they could
0: just reach so out to you. Um, where, where can people reach out to you if they're interested?
1: My first and last name at gmail.com, Bracken Crocker. But yeah, Instagram's the easiest way to find me and message me. You can message me on Facebook. You can send messages to Obstacle Dominator, whatever you want to do. There's a bunch of ways, but Instagram's probably the easiest. Uh, I have a few one on one spots, but um opening up some more of the the less hands on, more help you out and, and help you through a season kind of role. that will have more of that for this year. So there'll, there'll be less people that I'll turn away this year because. Uh, a second that level, a little bit. Please. Cool, man.
0: Yeah. And like the, the programming, it's obvious that like you have a real good grasp on that. And, like you're obviously technically sound and you know what you're doing. You've been doing it for a long time. But like from experience, like you're a great coach. Like you know, like the soft skills of things and like being able to talk to people and, and know what athletes go through. And that's just the intangible piece that most coaches don't have, but you do have that. So really, I uh, um, appreciate popping on. And you should check out brackencracker at gmail.com.
1: I right, did. Rich, you know, I mean, I was not just like scratch my back, scratch yours, but I've heard nothing but good things about everyone who's worked with you. Cool,
0: good. It's good. To, it's good to hear, man. Yeah, because we've, we've had some overlap. Table that I don't bring. What's that? You bring some things to the table that I don't. Well, the nutri- nutrition stuff. Nutrition, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. funny. We've had some overlap um, for some yeah. people in there. So yeah, we definitely had uh, kind of worked in tandem.
1: Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the way it seems to go. Early on, I like. A couple of years back, I messaged Yancey every time someone came over. I'm like, Hey, just so you know, this person like message. And it real quickly, I realized like, this is a communal thing. Yeah. It's like, just raising these people. As oh, you're communal. worried about
0: stepping on toes for. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: Yeah. It was because it was weird at first. Yeah. And, it, to me, it felt like someone transferring colleges or, and then I realized now nah, everyone's friends here. Every yeah. School. And there's enough
0: people, man. You know, there's there's like, and if there's it's not, for, if yeah, there's maybe. not for you, you're doing something probably not great. Um, right. Um, well, cool, dude. So, uh, yeah, check them out.